Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Well, hello there. How's it going, eh? This is What You've Been Playing Wednesday, and this is a special weekly episode that's a compilation of the board games that we've been recently playing. And contributing on this episode are Matthew Legault of Scorpio Masque, Board on the Air, The Meeple Dungeon, definitely a board game podcast, Dice and Dragons, the Tabletop Bellhop and Cardboard Conjecture. Remember to check out the show notes for the links to all of the content from the What You've Been Playing Wednesday cast. So sit back, relax, and have a listen. Hi everyone. Matthew here from Montreal-based board game publisher Scorpion Masqué. We've just put online the two-player variant for our great word-based deduction game, Master Word. So if you go to scorpionmasque.com, you can find the rules on the Master Word page, download it, and you're ready to go. Check it out, it's a great game for couples. So I've been playing quite a few games recently, and it's been a really nice change. I have evenings of online gaming to look forward to on a regular basis, rule books to read through, and fun to be had, for the most part. But here's the catch. I haven't been playing published games. I've been playing prototypes. So what's a prototype, you ask? Well, simply put, a prototype is a game that hasn't been finished. Now, of course, I have to throw in my disclaimer here that, like all creative works, a game is never truly finished. There are always modifications or expansions or adjustments and tweaks and all the rest of that that can be made to any game long after it's published. But prototypes are games that are almost there, but are missing a number of things. Final components. Uh, Often prototypes will use simple cubes or discs to represent things that may eventually become custom pieces, or even full-on miniatures. They're missing artwork. I have seen the same goblin face on at least a dozen different prototypes, including one of my own, because it's available for free on the GameIcons.net website. And background art and card design is very, very basic in a prototype. And finally, they're often missing a mechanism or two. Maybe the game slows way down at the end, or maybe there's an element that almost works, but doesn't quite. And the key to playing prototypes is being able to look past those things, looking past the missing artwork or the theme that doesn't quite make sense, or ignoring the fact that your World War I sop with camel is actually a white plastic disc with the number four on the other side. Don't worry about that, it was from an earlier iteration. And knowing that even though the current layout of the board is confusing as hell, if the rest of the game is good, well, that can be fixed. So why have I been playing prototypes? Well, first of all, I was very lucky to have been chosen to be a judge for the Cardboard Edison Award, a competition that takes place every year for unpublished games. They get hundreds of submissions, and every submission goes through two rounds. The first round of reading rules and watching a short video, and the final round, which involves actually playing the game, either a real physical version or an online version on Tabletop Simulator. I judged 20 games in the first round, and so far have played online implementations of seven games, and I have three more to go. And the other reason I've been playing prototypes is because, well, it's 
part of my job. At Scorpion Masque, we get a ton of submissions, and Christian, my boss, filters through them, and if they make the cut, we sit down and play them together and decide if we like it, and if so, how much. Playing all these prototypes has led me to a few conclusions about game design. Now, I know that many of you are listening to this podcast hoping to find a game that tickles your fancy and that you can walk out to your favorite friendly local game store and buy, but I have a feeling that there are also people listening who might be fledgling game designers themselves, or at least who might entertain ideas of one day designing a game. So if you'll indulge me, I'll share a couple of my observations with you. If nothing else, this might give you a a little added insight into the process behind the games that you love. First of all, when designing a prototype, know who it's for. Who is the target audience for your game? I recently played a prototype with a strong take that element, meaning you can attack other players and steal from them and assign penalties to them and all the rest of that sort of nasty stuff. But there was also a pretty robust strategic element to the game too. And the game took an hour and a half to play. Now these things just don't fit together. Take that games need to be short and nasty. You have to delight in hurting each other and being hurt, but also leave time for a rematch to get your revenge. If you spend 85 minutes building a strategy that someone undermines by attacking you in the last turn of the game, uh, that only leaves you feeling angry, cheated, and like having another drink. Or seven. So know who your audience is and double down on that. A second tip would be to playtest with different playgroups. It's very clear when a game has just been playtested with one group. The learning curve is extremely steep for first-time players like myself. That is to say, the game has had mechanisms added and added to it in layers, which the playtest group has been able to absorb over repeated plays, but which actually create an almost insurmountable mountain, insurmountable mountain, (laughs) of information to learn before and during your first play. Now this can often be identified by cards that take a long time to read and understand when they're first revealed, or rules that are full of exceptions and edge cases. Playtesting with different groups will show designers where they can simplify and make their game more easily digestible for first-time players, while still retaining its complexity. If you're only designing your game for your friends, that's fine too, go for it. But if you want it to be played by a wider audience, make sure they can all get into it. And this leads me to my final point. I could go on all day about this to be honest, but let's keep it short. Uh, The final point is to listen to your playtesters especially when it's feedback that you don't want to hear. One game I played had a list at the end of the rulebook of the 15 most common mistakes people make when playing the game. (sighs) If people are making that many mistakes playing your game, it means that they can't remember everything they need to keep track of. This is called cognitive load. And if you go over that threshold, you forget things. In this case, your playtesters are telling you that there are too many things to remember. If you ask them, they'll probably say, oh, no, not really. I mean, I think it's, you know, pretty manageable. But their actions say otherwise. Maybe those 15 things need to be simplified, or combined, or, well, maybe they just don't need to be in there at all. Listen to your playtesters and be prepared to change your game and, like the old expression goes, to kill your darlings. So, that's what I've been playing. Prototypes and prototypes. Some not that great, and some that are wonderful, and all of which have made me think about the game design process. Thanks for letting me share my thoughts with you here today. So this has been Matthew Legault from Scorpion Masque. Keep your eyes peeled for our new games in your friendly local game store and check out Masterword's two-player uh, two variant on our website. I'll see you all next time. Hi, I'm Shay. And I'm David. And we are Bored on the Air, and this is What Have You Been Playing? What have you been playing? 
we have been playing the newest flip and right. Yes, Hadrian's Wall. The uh, the big game right now. The big little game. Big little game. Yeah. Uh, designed by Bobby Hill and art by Sam Phillips, which sort of detracts, but we'll get does to it? that. Does it? It does in my world. Well, you don't like theme, though. It's not <laughs> brown, so how can you like it? Well, there's lots of brown in it. Well, yeah. Uh, this was developed by Shem Phillips' company, Garpil Games, and released in the U.S. by Renegade Games. Yes. And uh, it was really good. I yes. started off by saying it was great. Um, I guess this is more of a flip and right than a roll and right, although they get interchanged all the time. Yeah, they're, uh, they're the same type of game. It's just how you get what you're, fl- what you're writing. Yeah. So... In this game, you have a central deck of cards as well as individual decks of cards. And you're going to be flipping the your two of your individual cards and picking one to score for endgame points and picking one to get resources and workers off of. Yep. And then in the middle board, you'll flip one card and get the resources off of that card. It, and it gives you the bulk of your... Tokens. Yeah, exactly. So then you take those tokens, which are a few different colored guys, plus a resource token, and you use those to do things on your board. And you do that by crossing off. So like the yellow workers will get you up on citizen tracks, which allow you to buy buildings, which allow you to get bonuses. Uh, And then the, the black, the blue, and the purple workers will let you move up on the wall and the, what is it, the fort and mining? Yeah. And guards? Yeah, it's... The the story behind the game is you are defending Hadrian's Wall from the barbarians or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're building up everything behind there. You're building up the society behind it to defend it. Uh, and it's really spreadsheet the board game. Because <laughs> uh, if you like combos, if you like fleet the dice game, you're, you're going to enjoy this. Yeah. Uh, you're using your workers and get moving up on tracks, which are going to let you do other stuff, which lets you do other stuff. And at the end of each round, you are defending your wall. Yeah. And that's going to get progressively harder through the six rounds that you play. Yeah, because each round that you play, you flip more cards over that will give you where the, the soldiers are going. Yeah. And there is no way to guess where they will go. You just gotta put guys out and hope that you have it covered. Yeah, like pretty much everything else in the game is known quantities. Yeah. Right. You you know what you're get what you have to work with. You know everything, but when you get to the the wall where you're putting your cohorts, cohorts, yeah, yeah. cohorts, you're guessing as to where the cards that you flip are gonna say where they're coming from. And I like it. Oh, like, it's fantastic. Yeah, I, we've played it twice this week uh, since we got it and have enjoyed both games. Uh, I started, played two rounds in the solo player mode just to get a feel for the game because reading the rules, very well explained, but it's still not the same as actually playing the game. Yeah, there's a lot of things going on in this one. Like, even when you explained the rules to us, I was very uh, confused because there's two sheets with a million things on them. So trying yeah. to figure out exactly which thing does which it took took a bit. Yeah, this is the very technical description of this game where we do things and do stuff. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it's it's hard, hard to describe. Like you're you're building buildings. You're moving tracks across. You're getting income. Uh, you're trying to cancel out the bad guys that have gone over the wall. You're trying to scout to get more resources. There's lots of different tasks you can accomplish with the workers that you get and with the resources you get. Mm-hmm. Uh, end result is I think every game is going to play a little differently. I, I don't think there's any one set strategy that's going to conquer everybody. I, I read online that everybody's like, oh, you got to do the scout track to win. I did the full scout track and I dropped 22 points from my first game to my second game. Uh, you have to do a little bit of everything, in my opinion, in this game. Yeah, I'd agree. Because um, in the, in my second game, I actually thought I did a lot better. Well, I did definitely do a lot better on the tracks uh, because I did more of everything. Where I lost points was definitely the invaders getting over. I had a couple bad rounds of them going where I didn't want them to go. Yeah, and that is huge. Uh, if they can get through, uh, you're losing points. Uh and you're using resources to cancel out those points. Because uh, every time you defend, you're going to get between two and four point points, basically, yeah. of the six rounds. Averages out to about 18, 19 points. And I think I only got three in the second game, where the first game I got them all. Yeah, the first game I got a lot more. Like, I think I only missed one or... I missed two, I think. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it was... It definitely hurt me in the second game. Because I know my tracks were up higher, so I dropped three points because I had uh, twice the amount of disdain. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, otherwise, thought it was a solid game. Definitely yeah. looking forward to putting this in the rotation more. Yeah, this is definitely uh, right up there with Fleet the Dice game, if not a little bit. It's it's more complex, it's heavier. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think we'll play it as much as Fleet the Dice game. But it's definitely going to get into the rotation for our flip slash rolling rights. Yeah. Okay, I'm David. And I'm Shay. And we are Board on the Air, a weekly podcast where you can find us on CFCR in Saskatoon at 6 o'clock on Thursdays uh, or on all of your favorite podcasting sites. Excellent. We will talk to you next week. Have a great one. Hello everybody, it's Rob and Anna-Marie from the Meeple Dungeon. Hello! And we are back recording for the What You Been Playing Wednesdays podcast. Uh, This week we're going to talk about two games. The first one we're going to talk about is The Batman Who Laughs Rising, published by The Op. Uh, It's a co-op game for one to four players. It plays in about 60 minutes. Um, And let's just talk about this theme. So... For those of you out there that have not heard of the Batman Who Laughs, I'm not surprised because he's a relatively new uh, villain. I hadn't heard about him right. until Yes, but it's something I have known a lot about for a long time and was insanely excited when I first saw that this game existed because I never thought in my wildest dreams that anybody would choose the Batman Who Laughs as uh, the main character for any kind of board game, for sure. Um, so... The Batman Who Laughs is basically an evil mashup of Batman and the Joker coming from the multiverse. It's like the best parts of Batman and the worst parts of the Joker combined. Combined into one (laughs) horrible, horrible person. And he, in this game, it's all about him uh, 
opening a portal into or from the dark multiverse and he's trying to destroy our world and he's accompanied by the dark knights and the dark knights are a similar thing uh, they're just not nearly as powerful as he is um, or as manipulative as he is and there's six of them uh, there's the murder machine who is more or less a cyborg combo with batman from a, a different multiverse and then there's five others the devastator who's like doomsday the red death who's like the flash Dawnbreaker, who's like the Green Lanterns, and the Drowned, who's kind of like the Aquaman. And the Merciless. And the Merciless, who's like Ares. Yeah, it's Batman who actually has Ares' helmet on, and he just goes crazy. And these are all from different multiverses. And they have come to destroy our world. So we play as one of four characters. Uh, the four characters are Batman, Green Lantern, Wonder Woman, and Hawk Girl. Um, and yeah, Anna Marie, do you want to talk about how this game works? Yeah, um, so the game, uh, you have a nice little board in the middle. Um, mm-hmm. well, before I even talk about how the game plays, this game just looks cool. It's insane. It's got the coolest, like, mini I've ever come oh, yeah. across. With It's a fully painted mini of the Batman Who Laughs, and he it sits about five inches tall, and it sits in the middle of the table on uh, kind of the main board which represents uh, the Gotham City. With his main henchmen, the evil Robins. Yes. And they're all, like, all chained. chained underneath him. <laughs> and they're real chains on this thing, so they dangle around. It's really cool. Oh, it's really cool. Yeah, it's an amazing thing. So, like, on the board, this mini just looks insane. But, yes, so gameplay. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah tell us what's going on here. You've got that main figure of the Batman who laughs in the center of this round board, and the round board is divided into three spots. One, two, three. Yeah. And um, thirds, I guess, would have been easier to say. Yes. But anyway. Um, Three thirds. Yes. <laughs> and the um, uh, the first part of the turn is you roll two die for well, the Batman who laughs. Yeah, but oh, around yeah. those three uh, three thirds of the board, are there's three more character cards laid out. In each third. In so each nine third. character cards. So which nine characters. Yeah, and they're basically made up of your um, heroes that you're playing with mm-hmm. and um and it starts with six basic villains. Yeah. Now, the fun part about the heroes is that they're actually made up of the heroes and villains that you know of. Yeah. So all the classic villains are now heroes yeah. because they've joined forces with the, the typical heroes to fight this horrible group of crazy Batman. Yeah. So you've got like Batman and Wonder Woman and Green Lantern, but you've also got the real Joker. Yep. Um, Joker, Clayface, Harley Quinn, Clayface. And they're your allies. And so it's yes. really neat. It's insanely really neat. cool. Um, yes. So you've got nine of those uh, around the board. And then um, you roll two die for the Batman Who Laughs. Yeah, you roll one for the Dark Knight track. track and that right. that is going to determine, as, the, as you lay cubes onto this track, it's going to determine how quickly the Dark Knight's come out onto the board. And they basically, once you get allies or get defeated from um, the nine cards around, the Dark Knights are they'll, going to take yeah, their place. They'll replace yeah, yeah. cards that get you either recruit a, yeah, recruit a friend or they get killed or, or something. You like do that. have a deck of allies that can go out as well, but mm. depending on your game, you could just get a whole whack of these Dark Knights, depending on how yes. fast the tracks fill up. Um, but anyway, so then you're trying to basically get uh, get allies without getting damaged because you get damaged really easily yeah. and really fast and uh, and then as you make your way through the dark nights to get to the last dark knight which is the, the batman, batman who, who laughs, laughs and then you have to defeat him yeah. and 
every that, yeah oh and and as the dark knights come out onto the board the the batman who laughs gains a uh, a special power moving forward so like it's just everything just ramps up against you and it's horribly horribly difficult it's very game. difficult but it's horribly great and game. so fun the, the tension yeah. is crazy good um but yeah you're rolling dice to yeah. to uh try to land hits on the enemies or it's all dice yeah, rolling. It's all dice rolling, and you're you're gaining new dice depending on the the characters that you have, and uh, like the Joker when he joined my team as the Batman, he ends up giving me two dice because of that particular pairing. Uh, yeah. Was you know is really cool thematically, right? So I ended up having two extra dice because of it. It's a very difficult game to win, and it's very thematic that way with how powerful the Batman who laughs actually is in the comics. Yeah, it's very just. It, it makes sense. Yeah. And you don't care that you've lost because you're just like, oh, my gosh, he is so tough. Yeah, he's so crazy tough. Yeah. And every turn he's turning to a different uh, section of the, the city or he might stay in the section that you're at. And then you have to decide whether you're going to uh, one section or another section. And he's chasing you and doing damage. And you're it's just constantly putting it's out chaos. fires. It's, 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 constant it's as chaotic chaos. as we're making it sound, to be honest. It's 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 simple. But it's just crazy. Yeah. It's, everyone's always getting hurt or dying, and you're trying to make tough decisions on who to save. And if you lose ten heroes, if ten of ten of your allies or heroes are gone, uh, you, you lose, lose the game. Yeah. If your hero dies, you lose the game. You lose. Like there's just. And if the yeah. Dark Knight track gets full, you lose. You lose. So there's yeah. lots of ways to lose. Not a lot of ways to win, other than killing the. There's Batman one way to win. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we highly, highly recommend this game. The Batman Who Laughs Rising from the op. Super cool. But we're going to quickly touch on another game we've been playing, and that is Super Skill Pinball 4K, designed by Jeff Engelstein from WizKids. Uh, a roll and write that just simulates pinball. Um, feels like you're playing pinball. It honestly just feels like playing pinball. It's really hard to describe. It's a roll and write where you're moving this ball around on your pinball. It's like you machine. can't play the game without making sound effects either. Yeah, you're going ding, ding, bang, ding, bang. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's exactly what it sounds. But... We're out of time. We got to get rolling here. So the Batman Who Laughs Rising, awesome game. Uh, Super Skill Pinball 4K, another awesome game. Uh, we'll see you next week. Cheers. See ya. Hello, I am Aaron Millich. This is where I talk, right? This, yeah. yeah. I'm Royce Calverly. There he is. And we are definitely a board game podcast. A podcast definitely about board games, except when they're not. And we're back on What You've Been Playing Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Happy Wednesday. So, what you've been playing? Oh, I'm glad you asked. So, <clears throat> I've been playing an oldie but goodie, but with a new expansion. I've been playing Targi, but with the new expansion, as mentioned. Uh, if you haven't played Targi before, it's a two-player game. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, it's a it's sort of a worker placement game, I would wouldn't you say? And you're collecting yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's a worker placement action selection game. Yeah. yeah, you're collecting goods and buying with those goods. You're buying tribes and growing your tribes. And depending on how you grow your tribes, if you match them up or if you make them all different, you get bonus points. And there's a robber, of course, just always lurking about trying to ruin everything for you. But what the Targi expansion did really well was it added a new figure, a Targia figure that moves opposite of the robber. And the Targia figure actually helps you get extra goods and helps you out a lot. 
Uh, they've also added new water tokens that kind of operate the same way as gold. So they're not quite a good, uh, but they're more like gold and they help you buy tribes. But the thing I like the best that they added to this and something I think you're really going to enjoy, Royce, is they added something called sand dunes. These are three cards that sit on top uh, at the, above rather the usual targi board and you can put one of your workers on there uh, to claim it and get these really amazing bonuses but the thing is once you do that you're going to lose an action on the regular board and that kind of uh, tr is the trade-off there right, right. Um, really enjoy the expansion it fits beautifully into the original box you'll have no use for the expansion box once you blend it all together and some of those old targi cards aren't going to get used either so be aware of that you're going to be throwing away some of the old cards toss them to the side and probably never look at them again but Targi was already a fantastic game and probably one of our favorite two-player games of all time. But adding this expansion actually did make it even more enjoyable, more fun, added some new depth. And I can't see us ever playing the original without the expansion going forward. Okay, that's huge praise because, yeah, that, there are very few expansions that I say I will never play without. So that's really exciting. Yeah, so the expansion came out in 2020. Uh, the original in 2018 by Andreas Steiger on the Cosmos uh, publishing label. Well, it actually came out considerably before that in Germany, but it only oh, just it? made it to North America in 2020. Yeah. Cool. So that's Targi right. with the expansion. Royce, what you been playing on Wednesday? So I've been playing a game called 15 Days. Cool. I never heard of it. Uh, 15 Days is by Francesco Testini. Heard that name. It's part of the Matchbox Games collection right. by Thundergriff Games. Got it. And... By now, it's you probably you may have seen the video with Tom Vassell where he talks about the Matchbox games sort of as a whole, and he absolutely trashes them. Wow! And I'm just look, just come listen to our next episode because I really strongly disagree. <laughs> I can I have enjoyed. I played three out of the five Matchbox games so far. I've really enjoyed them. But 15 Days is as good a game as any game that has been released this year. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, what it is, it's a game about uh, the seasons have become mixed up. The weather isn't working and you've got to put it all into order. And what it is, it's a set collection game. And you are playing cards out of your hand to uh, get new cards and to put those cards down into various sets. Every turn is a very difficult decision on which cards to spend as a resource, as a currency, and which ones to play into your sets. Because you know you're going to need those cards you're playing as a currency down the road. It's a guarantee. Right. And you might need it as soon as a turn or two from now. But right now you can play other cards. So this it's this back and forth decision and it's really hard to decide which cards to get rid of, which cards to keep. And I've got to say, this is probably going to be my, my vote for best artwork of 2021. Oh, wow. Wow. It is beautiful. Nice. It is so pretty, and the cards are absolutely gorgeous. And when you finally build out a season, they have each card is a different animal on them. And each animal, they work together in a set to have just this harmonious, beautiful look. They are stark, 
but at the same time they have detail and they're really warm and the excellent use of negative space and the cards themselves are almost like a metallic shimmer to them nice beautiful beautiful game Really enjoy the gameplay. That's 15 Days by Francesco Testini, one of the Thundergriff game matchbox game series that Tom Vassell trashed. Tom Vassell is wrong. Sorry. Just going to say it right now. Tom Vassell is wrong. If you want to hear more of how Tom Vassell is wrong, where can they find us? Well, they can find us on Apple Podcasts. Just look up Definitely a Board Game Podcast, Spotify Podcast. We actually have a website with Bud Sprout called Definitely Board Game Podcast. Those are the best ways to find us. We're also on a whole bunch of other streaming services, iHeartRadio, one of them. Basically, anywhere podcasts live, that's where we are. You can always reach out to us, too, if you want to email us. Board at gmail.com, at BoardDefinitely on Twitter, and at DefinitelyBoard on Facebook as well. And uh, I think that, and of course, we have a guild on uh, Board Game Geek. So look up Definitely Board Game Podcast to find us there. Excellent. All right. So, Vassal Mort, you've heard it here from Royce. If you have a problem with us, we'll see you on the sandbox at 3 p.m. That's right. Let's see you next Wednesday, guys. What up, gamers? I'm Jason. I'm Julie, and together we're Dice and Dragons. And what is it today, Julie? It's What You've Been Playing Wednesday. We probably have a shorter segment today. We reviewed, well, played, and are going to be reviewing Robotech Cyclone Run by Japanime Games and Strange Machine Games, designed by Jeff McClinsky and Quinn Washburn. Just would like to say thank you to Japanime Games for sending us this review copy. So, Julie... What do we do in Robotech Cyclone Run? We roll dice and we kill robots. <laughs> <laughs> well, they look like robots. I'm the Robotech fan. Uh, so this game is set during the new generation era of Robotech. You get to use some of your favorite heroes from the era. You roll some dice. You are able to then activate different heroes as well as the alpha and beta fighters. You're going to be moving a cyclone or a jeep, depending on your character, through a three by three grid, and you will be defeating Invid. Now the player that has defeated the most Invid and has the highest point score at the end of the game, well, don't have to def have defeated the most Invid. There's also locations you can discover as well. That person will be the winner. Now the game plays in about 20 minutes. Julie, what did you think about this? It definitely plays in 15 to 20 minutes. I would say it is a highly, highly dependent on your roles and randomness of the cards that, that come up because... You mean the tiles? The tiles, the, card, the tiles that, uh, that come up. I, I mean, we played it a few times and it was, it swung heavily. I mean, one time you kicked my butt, another time I kicked your butt. Uh, it's just, you can, you can tell, I think for me, part of the, the thing that I was a little disappointed with is you can tell pretty quickly that somebody's going to run away with the game. I think that might be different at four players, but I do have to agree with you. Uh, I think the game is designed to be a portable, fast-played Robotech game. And that it definitely is. But the downside, as you say, is because it's that... It's very easy for someone to run away with it. And I have to say the biggest disappointment I have with this game is player agency. Because it's quite clear that there is always the best thing to do. If you can always, for example, get the extra die that looks like the uh, 
the Genesis or a nuclear symbol so that you can activate Ariel and then see where everything is and then make the best decision every turn. That's what you always want to do. You can easily tell there's a couple times where I thought figure Julie was going to kick my butt because I just saw the tiles and she's like, I'm going for the beta fighter. Or I'm going to be going for the alpha fighter. And I was like, well, if she gets that, then I'm obviously done or I'm going to be falling behind because that is literally the best thing to do. It's fairly obvious and I feel that that really takes away from uh, decision making. I don't really think there's many decisions to be made in this game. No. And, and I mean, so for that, if you're looking for a light game uh, to play... Uh, whenever a light game even i would say at the beginning of a game night while you're waiting to set up another game this is definitely something that's they can be i would say probably a lot more fun at a higher player count i don't think i'm in any hurry to play this the two of us again no and the game is very portable it, you can almost actually set it up in its box actually considering that the grid plastic is how you store everything so that's well designed and it's used very well uh, you can almost play it on a plane. It might be a little tough to, to pull it off because it does still take up some space. But if you're going to a convention, if you're going away for a weekend, that's something you can easily chuck uh, into the bag. I really don't have too much more to add or say about the game. I think it, it does what it sets out to do. But what it sets out to do, I think, is just a little disappointing. And for us, I think part of our disappointment may also be because we uh, played X-Men Mutant Insurrection before this. So we go from one level of dice game and we're dropping down to a complete other level of dice game. And I don't think those two are comparable well, in any way. No, and I, I think one positive thing we can say for it is it's definitely a very accessible game. Anybody can play this. It, it does not. It is not a difficult game to play Uh absolutely anybody can play it and i mean it does save ages eight and above and and i think that's definitely accurate and it takes only a few minutes to teach really so that's another advantage of this you can bring it anywhere teach it to anyone and have a good time so robotech cyclone run it is the sequel to robotech ace pilot if you're not a new generation fan well you can play the original macross saga version uh but this is the ver this is the one that we got i don't know if i'd actually pick up ace pilot it's, I don't know, Cyclone Run seemed to make more sense with the new generation because I know the franchise, it's a little bit more contentious, but uh, competing against each other seemed a little off in the Macross era for me. So I think that's all that we have, Julie. I would remind people that you can uh, listen to the full review of this, which will come out uh uh, probably this week, right? Yeah, it'll be coming out the day after this episode's released. So you can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram at Dyson Dragons, or on Twitter at Dyson Dragon. Yes, we still haven't figured out a way to get that S, but we have so many great followers on Twitter. I don't know if I'd ever want to change our Twitter account. So what do we want to remind people to do? Well, you need to keep playing games. <laughs>
Of course, the question I'm answering today is, what you've been playing this past week? So after a week uh, off from gaming and other fun activities I actually do to a stomach bug, we finally got Robotech Invid Invasion to the table multiple times. Invid Invasion is the third Robotech board game from Solar Flare Games, who worked with Harmony Gold to bring the entire Robotech series to the tabletop. This started with Robotech Force of Arms, which was set in the Macross era, which was followed by Robotech Crisis Point during the Robotech Masters series, and has culminated with the game I'm talking about today, Robotech Invid Invasion, which lets you play out elements of the Robotech The New Generation series. Each of these games, starting from Forza Marbs to Invid Invasion, has increased in complexity and difficulty at each level. Now, Force of Arms, for example, is a very quick two-player, 50-minute-or-less mathy cooperative card game. It actually feels like something from Rainier Nitzia. Whereas Invid Invasion is the opposite end of the scale. It's a one-to-six-player epic cooperative game, with some of our plays taking up to four hours. Though I will say the average, now that we know the game better, is closer to about three hours per game. But still, way longer than the original game in the series. Now, Crisis Point, of course, falls kind of in the middle there. Now, in Robotech Invid Invasions, players take on the role of four to six of the Robotech Freedom Fighters from the Next Generation series. This includes characters like Scott Bernard and Lancer Belmont and Lunk and all your favorite characters from that series. Now, the game itself is split over two phases. For the first phase, you're trying to break through the Invid lines to get to Reflex Point. And you do this by fighting through a grid of cards, trying to make a path on the board from one side to the other. A clear path with no cards before the timer runs out. And it's a six-turn timer. Now, assuming you do get to Reflex Point, you punch your way through, you then get to take part in an epic boss battle against the Invid Regis and her defenders. Now, you're going to have to defeat the Regis before the Robotech Expeditionary Force from Rick Hunter returns to Earth and has no choice but to destroy the entire planet to stop the Invid. Now, while playing the game, you're going to have to find gear and allies as well as protoculture, which helps you to be able to swap your mecha, improve your odds in battling the Invid. Now, gameplay in Invid Invasion uses a rather cool combat dice system where the mecha you are in at the start of the turn determines how many dice you get each round. And these dice are spent to do things like search for gear, look for protoculture, moving around on the board, and of course fighting and escaping from the invid. Now combat has players trying to decide how many dice from their pool to use each fight and trying to get a number of hits higher than their target, with failure resulting in those dice being wasted and facing an invid counterattack. Now another interesting thematic element in the game is that the mecha and some of the gear you use generates what's called a protoculture signature. This is something that builds up every round. Now, this protoculture signature ends up being the Regis's health in the second phase of the game. So balancing your amount of protoculture output is a key part of this game. Overall, Invid Invasion is by far the best of the three Robotech games that was published by Solar Flare Games. It's the one of the three that feels the most like I'm actually playing through a Robotech story. Now, I do have to say it is far from perfect with a pretty terrible rulebook containing many rule ambiguities and layout issues. Now, thankfully, most of these issues have been addressed by the designer and have been shared over on BoardGameGeek. So if you do have this game or pick it up, be sure to check BoardGameGeek for that information. I will say, even with its flaws, I would go so far as to say this is the best Robotech board game I've played to date. It is definitely worth checking out if you are a Robotech fan. 
Now, there is a lot to this game, and this is a small segment. So if you are curious about Robotech Infinite Invasion and want to know more, I strongly suggest you take out my full, very detailed review on the blog where I walk through how to play and share a lot more of my thoughts on the game. Or check out the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast episode 130 where Sean and I talk about Infinite Invasion. Now note, if you do check out the blog, be sure to check the comments section because that is where the, the designer has clarified some of the rule problems I found. Well, that's all I've got for this week. I hope to see you next week. Find lots more gaming content at TabletopBellhop.com and be sure to check out the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, which we record live Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern on Twitch, twitch.tv slash TabletopBellhop, with edited episodes showing up on your podcatchers early Tuesday mornings. For the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, I am Mo Tuzno, the Tabletop Bellhop. Good night and game on. Hey there, it's Norm from the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast and Bridge City Board Gamers here in Saskatoon. Typically, I do a talk-through on the thread at our Facebook community page, but I have the time. I'm going to tell you what I've been playing this week. Well, I have been playing. I have been fortunate enough to receive a copy of Latte Throwdown from Analog Game Studios, designed by Corey Keller. And uh, you know what? I'm just going to read you the description from the publisher because it's perfect. So Latte Throwdown is a two to four player dice pool, dice rolling and placement game. You are a barista competing in the Latte Art Throwdown competition. Complete and score the best latte pours before the competition does. You score points by matching your dice to the combination of dice shown on the latte cards. The first barista to reach 20 points wins. Use your barista power strategically and beware of the other baristas who will try to creatively snatch the best designs ahead of you. Hold that picture steady, keep an eye on the other baristas, and don't spill your milk. Well, I'm a big coffee fan, so I immediately was uh, attracted to... Well, the cover is awesome. It's got coffee beans all over the place. So, like it was said... Um, it's it's a dice chucker and it's uh, it plays. I mean, it's a, it's a perfect 15 to 25 minute coffee break kind of game or sitting in a coffee shop kind of thing. And how it works is you have uh, four lattes in front of you. There's a latte card deck that looks the round cards that look like top views of of lattes. So you can see the beautiful milk art. And that's basically what you're going for is uh, who can have the, the most beautiful latte design and the the latte is how you accomplish this it's a it's a dice recipe fulfillment race kind of thing so you have four cards they range from each latte hat ranges from difficulty of two dice which is two points and then there's three dice four dice and i believe five dice yes because you start off with five dice and um on your turn you roll your five dice you decide what coffee you're going to try and work on and be the first to complete that um, if you if you complete a latte, you take the points immediately and and you know uh, uh, note them on the scoreboard, which is a little uh, which is a little milk steamer cup <laughs> steamer cup so cute meeple and uh, yeah that is uh, 
that's that's the the core essence of the game. Now they have barista cards, which I, they're like the rule breakers, right? Um, and uh, you can use dice to to take out the three that are kind of the not the marketplace, but the the barista powers menu board, I guess. And uh, if you don't like what's there, you put a couple of uh, uh, two paired dice, uh, wash the board, put a, a new setup, and uh, powers such as um, uh, if you have a two, you can change it to any dice. If you have a one and a four, you can take an extra dice in the dice pool. So you have the ability to increase your your dice pool during this game. And it's, it's a fun race. It's... Um, it's exactly what you need when you're having a coffee. And and I've often used this term about low cognitive load, right? Not a lot of, there's some games like Vital Lacerda's. There's a lot of working memory necessary to play that game efficiently. This one, um, it's easy to teach, easy to learn, fast to play. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's a, <laughs> to part, you know, pardon the expression, it's a nice cup of coffee. So, yeah. Latte Throwdown by, and let me get this out here again, Analog Game Studios. So that was a wonderful play, yeah. So that being said, let's go have a look at the Facebook community thread of What You've Been Playing Wednesday. And uh, I think it's usually first up to line is Lane. Lane's always, a f I should check the timestamp on this. Um, Lane says, a lot of Marvel United. A Little Zombie Kids and Star Wars Unlocked. Yeah, that's a pretty interesting recipe there. Um, Marvel United. Ryan's talked a lot about Marvel United. He's had a lot of fun playing that one. And speaking of, uh, didn't wasn't able to uh, get a segment in, but so we'll talk about what he played. And as I said, Ryan, I've been playing lots of Marvel United, my son's favorite game at the moment. I guess that's what ATM means, because I don't think he has his own bank account. Um, also plays in X-Men Mutant Insurrection. Um, Chai? Yes, wonderful game. Yeah, yeah, we're going to talk more about Chai in a, in a later episode. Uh, Mercado de Lisboa and uh, Marvel Champions, Galaxy's Most Wanted Expansion. That's a busy week there. Okay, um, moving on. Jason! Uh, Amy and I have played Castles of Burgundy. I love that game. One of my favorite fell games. Azul. That's a good game. Good puzzle thinker game. And Calico. I mean, yeah, Calico is awesome. Uh, as well as Burgundy with Jeremy online. So yeah, there's, and you know what? I believe, and coming up here, I think there's proof in the pudding. I believe there's a lot of people in the uh, Bridge City Board Gamers community who Play tabletop simulator regular night, so that's awesome. And uh, speaking of hands, terraforming Mars, the whatnot cabinet, Marvel Splendor, Space Base, Murano. Oh, I love Murano, Inca and Marcus Brand. Yeah, Coimbra, Altiplano, that's a bag builder, great one. Cloud City, I've heard lots about Cloud City, Gingerbread House think that's Philip Walker Harding. Yeah, he's got a great, great batch of games. Uh, Emutap, uh, Archaeology, the little card game. I think we, I did a review on that one. That's like, yeah, yeah, what a, what a great batch of games. There we go. Jeff. Jeff played Bombfire, Hadrian's Wall, Raiders of the North Sea, Roll for the Galaxy, Smartphone, 
Whistle Mountain. Wow. Those are, I'm digging all these titles. Uh, moving down the list. Tim. Wingspan. <laughs> like lots of wingspan, as he says. Cool. Yeah, I could almost call it wingspan. Well done. Well done. Travis. And and it, not to dismiss a wingspan. Yeah, awesome engine builder. Yeah, I, you know, I think I might have to pull that copy down. You might hear me talk about it next week. Travis, Lords of Waterdeep, excellent worker placement. Scrabble, <laughs> my brain at most of the times. And Maracaibo, yes. Alexander Pfister, good job. Nice games. Uh, nothing crazy this week. We're looking to try Underwater City sometime soon. Oh, yeah, a few. Yeah, Underwater Cities, that's such a good title. I could go on, but I won't. Eli. Eli played Adventure Tactics. Domian's Tower. Oh, I'm sorry if I mispronounced that. Uh, Red Rising, Welcome to, and Beyond the Sun. I am so curious about Beyond the Sun. I've heard good things. And Red Rising. I think Ryan started started, uh, um, telling me about it. And yeah, it sounds like a really good game. I think... Once again, um, uh, Stonemeyer, what a fantastic publisher! Luke, excellent. I haven't heard of, I haven't heard from Luke in a long time. Luke, eighteen XX games, absolutely, absolutely. He uh, he showed me uh, Age of Steam, and I forget. I think I forget what the map was, but man, it was tight, and it was a knife fight in a phone booth. And I didn't make out too well. Um, So, yeah. Awesome. And uh, you guys need to check out Hatanooga, which is a uh, con that they put on. A lot of 18xx going on there. So, moving on. Mike Nielsen. Lots of overlap with Jeff on Tabletop. uh, Exactly what I said. Right on. Uh, Roll for the Galaxy, Smartphone Inc., Flamme Rouge. I love Flamme Rouge. And uh, yes, yes, great game. So that being said, we're getting to that point where it's time to wrap up. And uh, thank you all very much for having a listen. And and, uh, if you like what we're doing here, please share and tell others about it because these content creators that collaborate on this piece every week I'm so proud of the work that's going into this. So thank you so much to uh, the listeners, the contributors. And that being said, keep your stick on the ice and take care out there, eh? This episode of What You've Been Playing Wednesday has been brought to you by the kind folks at Cardboard Conjecture where summer's just around the corner. Just around that corner over there behind that blizzard. 